It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. As we are post-draft, we're going to take a look back at what the Falcons did to draft, the good, the bad, the ugly of all of it, thoughts, grades, everything that you could want for draft coverage. And Braves started an important series tonight, and this was not a good nine-game stretch for the Braves. And I think that there are time to have, there are some times now to have a little bit of concern. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We always thank you for being a part of our community. Thank you so much to all of the new subscribers and thanks so much for checking out our content, especially over the weekend with a busy NFL draft. You wanted to get some quick reaction. We try to give that to you. So thank you so much. Head over to our YouTube channel. Put in your browser box in YouTube, Locked On Sports Atlanta. Subscribe. Give us a review. Tell us what you think. I read through all the comments. So appreciate everybody's feedback on all of that. And of course, you can follow me on my Twitter page at JMCH316. Falcons complete their draft. Um, I thought it was a good weekend. I thought it was a good draft overall from the Falcons. My question still goes back to the philosophy of what the Falcons are doing. You know, we talked the other day on Friday about the Drake London pick, and and it has nothing to do with Drake. Wouldn't have mattered if it was Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, you know, whatever, Traylon Burks, insert whatever wide receiver you would have put in at pick number eight. It's the philosophy of, of what they're doing. Now, I know first pick, Second round, they actually traded up to get Arnold Ibikiti, the defensive end out of Penn State, which it made a lot of sense. I mean, you know, you had to go get that guy. I would have liked Logan Hall, um, who went at the very top of the second round, but I liked the Ibikiti. I, I, I liked overall what they did. I, I, I liked the players of London, Ibikiti, Troy Anderson, especially love Desmond Ritter. In fact, I'll probably tell you that my favorite pick in this draft is Desmond Ritter because of where they've got where they got him and the fact that they weren't afraid to take quarterback. I think a lot of people weren't sure about whether or not the Falcons would take quarterback and where they would take quarterback to get Desmond Ritter who you know was projected to be toward the top of the second round to get him where they did. Kids a winner, man. I mean say what you will, I don't know what exactly his upside is. I don't know what he can be in the league. I don't know if he can lead you to a championship. I love the fact that he said he's coming here to win a Super Bowl. It's what I want to hear out of my quarterback. That's what I want to hear. But here's what I do know. He took a program that had been pretty good. Remember, Cincinnati was pretty good under Brian Kelly. Now, that's where Brian Kelly had come from before before he went to Notre Dame. And remember, Tim Tebow's final game was against Cincinnati. So they had a pretty good football program, and they were looked at kind of as a stepping stone program. Luke Fickle comes in, brings in Ritter and Sauce Gardner and all these guys, Maja Walker and all these guys, and they find themselves in the national semifinal. And they have a really good team, had a really good roster. But Ritter's a guy who lifted that program up and brought them to a national prominence. I think there's something to be said about that. 
and he's got a lot of experience and he's played a ton in college and he's played against high caliber competition. You know, he's played against Georgia. He's played against Alabama. You know, he's played against Notre Dame. He's played against a lot of top tier schools. It's not like he's only playing against whatever inferior competition. So I, I, I like the pick and where they got him. I do like, especially D'Angelo Malone. He's the defensive end out of Western Kentucky. Here's what I'll tell you. I don't know a ton about D'Angelo Malone, but I do know that he set the school record for sacks. Now, you give me a guy who sets his school record in a category that I'm desperately looking for, I'll take that all day long. Tyler Algier obviously was good enough that they decided to move on from Mike Davis. That was the breaking news we got this morning that the Falcons are moving on from Mike Davis. Algier is a guy who, very productive in college, took that nice step that you like to see in running backs. A couple of years ago, remember, they had Zach Wilson running that offense, certainly a throw-first offense, but he was still an 1,100-yard running back in that offense, blossomed into 1,600 yards and almost 30 touchdowns this year. He's a definite factor. He doesn't have too much tread on the tires, so it's not like he's got massive beat-up factor. He played a lot in college. He's a four-year guy in college. So even though he's only like a redshirt sophomore, he was actually a four-year player for BYU. So very productive. Again, you're looking for a guy. Can he come in and be a third down back? Can he come in and give your back? Can he be an RB2 and give a guy a spell? Maybe be a short yardage guy, catch a few balls out of the backfield. He caught 42 passes his last two years total in uh, in college. So that's not a bad number in college. So maybe he can kind of help, you know, from that perspective. Um, Justin Schaefer, look, he's he's an interior lineman where they really need help. And he's a legitimate interior lineman. Can he compete and run with Jalen Mayfield? I don't know. You know, but I know that he fits a profile of what they need. You know, he's very physical, very tough on the offensive line. He's a guy that is going to at least get a shot. And, again, another guy who played for a great program, right? In fact, it was crazy to think that the Falcons actually drafted Georgia players in back-to-back picks, right? Justin Schaefer was the 190th pick overall, and then tight end John Fitzpatrick was the 213th pick overall. Uh, You know, look, Fitzpatrick's a guy who – remember Lee Smith last year? Okay, you got a younger Lee Smith is what you got. I don't know what those guys are going to be. I'm going to be curious to see what Jordan, uh, what, uh, sorry, what uh, Justin Schaefer uh, can do. Now, I want to talk for a minute about Troy Anderson because I, I really like this pick. And what's funny about Troy Anderson, and, and he's a linebacker out of Montana State. He played quarterback, fullback, linebacker, this, that, and the other. He's done a little bit of everything. And when you, when you are at a level of like Montana State, you do have to do a little bit of everything, right? If you're a great athlete, those kinds of programs are going to ask you to do a lot of different things. You're going to be asked to play a lot of different roles out there. Now, I don't know if he starts right away because you look at whether it's Micah Walker, obviously Deion Jones, they shine Rashawn Evans, Zoe Carter. Now, they've got a lot of guys to play linebacker right now. But Anderson is certainly a guy with his physical tools that is going to be part of the rotation. 
probably a special teams guy initially. And I know people don't like to hear that, but to be frank with you, that's where a lot of guys early on in their career have to make their bones in the NFL is you have to make your bones as a special teams player, unless you're like a first round pick. I mean, then that's a little bit different, but Anderson is a guy with a big motor, highly productive. He runs fast and physically, you know, six foot four, he'll probably play at the 240 range. The problem you're having right now with Deion Jones, and this is why the Nakobe D narrative didn't fit with the Falcons. Deion Jones is a smallish middle linebacker who in Dean P's scheme, when blockers are coming up at him, he has trouble taking on those blockers and he's getting blocked out of place. When he's got horses up front and he can run around in space, then he's got what he needs to do. Go sideline to sideline, cover a guy here, do this and then he's fine. But when guys are coming up at him and he has to take those blockers on, that's where he has trouble. That's where Anderson can sort of change a little bit of that mold. Now, Anderson's quick enough that he can run and he can cover as well, and he can play in some space. But when you're talking about coming up and pushing, you know, with blockers coming up into that second level, Anderson's a guy who can take some of those guys on. The problem with N'Kobe Dean, by the way, is that he's a smaller version of Deion Jones. Why he has a shot to do well in Philadelphia is because you have Jordan Davis and Fletcher Cox. You have space eaters in the front line of your defense. They are a very strong defensive line. So a guy like N'Kobe Dean can roam around back there and do the things that he needs to do without having to take on a lot of blockers coming up at him. Deion Jones in this system with the three-man front isn't able to do that. So Anderson is a guy that I'm very much intrigued by. If you want to ask me what my favorite pick is, my favorite pick is Desmond Ritter. If you want to know the pick I'm most intrigued by, that's Troy Anderson, the linebacker out of Montana State. Now, when we get back, we'll talk more about the Falcons. We'll talk about the grades. We'll talk about philosophy. We'll kind of get a little bit deeper into what this means and what this roster starts to look like. It is John Chuckery hitting hard on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Back with you on Hitting Hard on Locked On Sports Atlanta. I am John Chuckery. We are asking you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Head over to YouTube, put in your browser, Locked On Sports Atlanta. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review. Tell us what you think about the show. We appreciate all the feedback and commentary. And as always, I want you to follow me on my personal Twitter page. It is at JMCH316. We continue to look at the, the Falcons draft. If I had to put a letter grade on the Falcons draft, I think it's a B. I, I think it's a I think it's a solid B. I think that there were well, I don't think. I know that there were needs that were filled on this. Now, I don't necessarily believe the mantra that that Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith keep telling you about. Oh, we took just the guy who was the best on our board. We took the guy who who was at the top of our board in every round. About okay. I'm not sure Drake London was the best wide receiver or the best player, but okay, they they took him. Um, you traded up to get your defensive end, so you thought that somebody was going to grab him. Um, I don't know that Desmond Ritter just kind of 
sat there at 74 and that's about the pick number that you had him at i, I don't Again, I don't buy some of that narrative. That's GM speaking, all that. But of course, what are they supposed to say? They're supposed to tell you that, oh yeah, we got the guy right where we thought we'd get him, and all that. Okay, anyway, but I think they definitely address address some needs, and more than anything, I like the idea that they made sure with two of their first three picks that they did pick defense, and at least it picked some guys who are up near, um, you know, up up near the line of scrimmage. When you talk about taking Ibikiti and talking about taking Troy Anderson in the second round. Those were high need picks, and and those are guys that play close to the line of scrimmage, which has been my thing. Now, Ibikiti is one of those guys. He's very intriguing. Played at Temple, transferred over to Penn State, had a really good year. You know, he's probably on that little bit lower cusp of when you talk about Logan Hall, Boye Mafia out of Minnesota, Ibikiti. They were kind of in that next group. If if Hutchinson, Thibodeau, um, you know, those guys, you know, uh, Jermaine Johnson. We're toward the very top of the of the edge rusher class. Those guys, plus obviously because of Ajabo's injury, um, those all kind of dropped into that into that next level there. So they've got a player that certainly fits the three four scheme that Dean Pease wants to do. So I, I like the fact that they made sure that they started addressing what some of their needs were, including quarterback. You know, in, including getting themselves a quarterback, but. You looked at they took a couple of edge players. They took uh, uh, an inside linebacker. Um, they took a running back, which I definitely think that, okay, for where you picked the running back, I think that that was a solid pick. I got no problem. You're talking about taking a fourth, fifth, sixth round running back, seeing what he can do and giving him a shot. So I thought he's got a B grade overall on their draft. Edge rusher. I would have also loved, you know, probably honestly, a tackle uh, in this draft. But you've got free agent signings and things like that. I think, I think the thing that we saw is that, and I said this going into the draft, that because of the guys that they had signed and brought in, offensive line would probably not be a high priority. I really did think that. I told you I thought cornerback would not be a high priority. So when people are talking about Stingley and Sauce Gardner, and I know those guys were gone, but. I didn't think cornerback would be a high priority, and I didn't think offensive line would be a high priority simply because they had signed Casey Hayward. They brought back Isaiah Oliver. They have their two, you know, they've got Richie Grant, Jalen Hawkins. You know, those two guys are only their, you know, second to be in their second and third year. So they had several pieces in their defensive backfield. Whether you like some of those guys or not, they had several pieces in their defensive backfield to build around. And with their offensive line, even though it's just a mishmash and it's not a lot of great guys, they brought in, you know, a Fetty and guys like that. They're going to have those guys all compete. So I don't think that they were going to, even though Charles Cross was sitting right there available for them to draft Jermaine Johnson right there available. I, you know, I, I think they looked at and said, okay, cornerback offensive line. We can, we can wait till later or not worry so much about it, but they felt like they had to get their skill position guy. Now, Again, I'll go back and say, what's their offensive identity going to be? It was the one question that I really wish we would have, somebody would have asked. I mean, in the middle of, and, and I'm going to, let me let me just go ahead and call her, but, you know, in the middle of, I, I, I watched the pressers from Arthur and Terry, okay? It's D-Led's tie is off. Let's have fun with D-Led. Yuck it up. Jeff Schultz wants to see their, blah, blah, blah. you know, it's it's a yuck fest. We're not going to get any information. 
because one is they're not going to answer any real questions. And God forbid anybody in the Atlanta media would actually ask a question that somebody might want to know. That's my what's bugging Chuckery aside. But what's the offensive philosophy going to be? Because you have now two high draft picks. <laughs> you can say what you want, but you've invested. You know, people are talking about the money that, oh, if they look at all the first round picks in the offensive line. Okay, well, you've got two first-round pass catchers now. Plus, Calvin Ridley is, let's just for argument's sake, say that Calvin Ridley comes back and plays for the Falcons next year. You have three first-round pass catchers, okay, with a quarterback who threw it 450 times in his best season ever. That's a lot of, that's a, for, for a team complaining about the number of wide receivers, said the other, you have three first-round picks. Now, you don't have Ridley this year, and I get that. But you have three first-round picks that are on your roster now at a wide receiver, pass catcher, skill type of position. Brother, if you've got that, you better be hucking it around. And, and that's where the confusion about, about picking Drake London. Not the player, not what he is, not you know, not what he could be or this, that, and the other. Again, I had Pete Arbogast on. Pete Arbogast was born before, you know, Pete Arbogast was calling – USC games before many of you were born. And he's <coughs> the play-by-play -play guy who saw every snap that Drake London took. So, again, we got all the analysis, know how good of a player he is. It's just the philosophy of it. And I was glad to see that they quickly pivoted <laughs> into let's go get an edge rusher, let's go get multiple edge rushers, let's go get an inside linebacker, and again, I don't know if Deion Jones is, you know, I don't think Deion Jones is going anywhere this year because of the money that's attached to him. But you hope that Anderson's a guy who can come in and be a contributor and help out. Well, again, that's another guy closer toward the line of scrimmage that can help you out. So I thought the draft definitely got better as it went on, as we got into more line of scrimmage players. And the only reason, honestly, that I probably don't give them an A on the draft is because of the philosophy of the first round pick. If, if let me put it like this, let's say you would have swapped Drake London for Jermaine Johnson, and then tell me whatever wide receiver you take, you know, instead of Ibikiti, you swap that for the next best. I'll even say George Pickens. All right, let's just for, for argument's sake, and just to get it out of the way, let's say if it was George Pickens. If you told me it was Johnson, Pickens, and then the rest of the draft as is, I'd give you an A. I'd, I'd, I'd put an A grade, you know, on all of that. The only reason I flip it to a B is just the philosophy of what the first round draft pick was. That that still makes me scratch my head a little bit. Again, I think Drake London is going to be a very good player. I think he's going to, I think he's an NFL caliber player. Um, he comes with a great pedigree of, you know, wide receivers at Southern Cal, a guy who had all kinds of different quarterbacks thrown at him. It never slowed him down and he never didn't thrive. Uh, in their offense and was the Pac-12 player of the year, even missing four games. But it's the only, it's it's the philosophy of the pick, not the person that brings it down to a B for me. But overall, I thought the Falcons did a really good job uh, in the draft. I thought addressing things that they had to get, I, I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit surprised. I would have thought that they would have gone and grabbed one more wide receiver. I really thought that later in the draft, um, in one of those fifth or sixth round picks that we would have seen the Falcons go get themselves one more wide receiver all, out of all of that. But they did grab another tight end and they needed, you know, and say what you will, you know, they needed 
they needed help at wide receiver. They needed help at edge. They needed help at linebacker. They certainly needed a quarterback. Um, they needed help on the interior line. And they did need a tight end, not necessarily a pass catching tight end, not a guy who's going to, you know, compliment or compete with Kyle Pitts, more of a guy who can block and you can put down on the line of scrimmage. So thought it was a good draft uh, for the Atlanta Falcons. I expect, you know, London, if he's healthy, to come out and start uh, right away. Um, Ibakiti should play on the opposite side of Lorenzo Carter. That should be a pretty straightforward deal. And Anderson is going to be probably a guy who sees special teams at first and works his way into the rotation. Ritter probably won't play at all unless Mariota gets hurt. And D'Angelo Malone's a guy that's a project that special teams and things like that to get him into the mix. All right, when uh, we get back, uh, Braves start an important series tonight after what was a very disappointing run over this last nine games. Talk about that next. It is hitting hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back with you on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta, reminding you head over to our YouTube page. Go to YouTube, go in the browser, Locked On Sports Atlanta is what you want to type in there. Find the page, subscribe, leave us a comment, tell us what you think. And of course, as always, I want you to follow me on my personal Twitter page. It is at JMCH316. Well, the Braves start a series tonight against the New York Mets. And I'm going to tell you very clearly. They had a nine-game stretch. So they come back from the West Coast, right? Let's recap this real quick. Come back from the West Coast. You played four in San Diego. You played three in L.A. Okay, you were three and four on that road trip against two of the better teams in all of baseball. Got it. Not that big of a deal. But then you came home to play at the time. It was the Marlins, Cubs, and then on the road against Texas. When they came back home, this was Friday, April 22nd, that first game against Miami. Miami was a below 500 team. The Cubs were a below 500 team. And the Rangers were one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball. Okay? So I said at the time, hey, nine games before you head up for a four-game stretch in Gotham against the Mets, who have played pretty well, this is a chance to get healthy. you got to go 7-2. and two. That's why I said 7-2. and two. Okay, maybe at worst you go six and three, but seven and two. You have three bad baseball teams. The Braves go out and they lose two out of three to the Marlins. They win two out of three to the Cubs and then lose two out of three to the Texas Rangers. Four and five in that nine-game stretch. Again, I'm not saying that the division is over and the Braves aren't going to come back. But there has to be, at some point, a getting on point. Because now you go up to Gotham to take on the Mets, who have played really well. You ain't got to worry about Scherzer, because he pitched last night and was magnificent. Rolling right along. You know, maybe the best pitcher still in Major League Baseball. But you're six games behind already. Six games. It's May 2nd today. You go into Gotham against the division leader, on their home field for four games, six games down. Split. That's what I'm hoping for. Can the Braves find a split in this series? That's all I'm looking for at this point. But it has been disappointing, and we keep going to this theme. Well, they'll come around to him. You know, when Ronnie gets back, okay, well, Ronnie's back. And they have all their hitters, and they have all their pitchers. You know, I said before the start of the season, one of the numbers to look at is 
the Braves are going to set their team record in striking out batters. Well, they're third in the National League in strikeouts. They're also fourth in the league in walks, in, in Major League Baseball in walks. They've struck out a whole bunch of guys, but they give up way too many walks. Their ERA is not good. Their batting average is not good. Their on-base percentage is dreadful. Slugging's good because they hit a whole bunch of home runs. They're, they're like fourth in Major League Baseball in home runs, but they hit a whole crap ton of solo home runs. It is getting frustrating. And look, they go and lose three out of four to the Mets, and, and you're in the first week of May, you got to start saying, wait a second, we got to start figuring some things out. And I know it's a long way to go in the Major League Baseball season. Braves are 10 and 13. We're only 23 games in. Blah, 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 blah. This is the defending World Series champions, for God's sakes. We're not talking about some bag of overachievers. We're not talking about some ham and eggers that we didn't have any expectations for. You're supposed to be the best of the best of the best of the best. You're supposed to be at the top and you're six games behind because here's the reality. Maybe the Braves do start to figure some things out and maybe some things start to turn around for the Atlanta Braves and maybe they get on a winning streak. But look at the way the schedule is. You're at the Mets for four. You come home to play three with Milwaukee, who is arguably, if not the best team in the National League, one of division-leading Milwaukee. You've got the Red Sox, and then you get San Diego at home, who, who beat you there. You get Milwaukee on the road, and now the Marlins all of a sudden are over 500. So the schedule's not very favorable right now. You know, this is a – you had a nine-game stretch where you played some slugs and didn't take advantage of it. Well, now it gets amped up. Because you're going to see a division leader six times in Milwaukee. You're going to see a division leader four times in the Mets. And then mix in the Red Sox. And then mix in also, too, San Diego, who we know has got a good team. Schedule's not very favorable for the month of May. Doesn't get a whole lot easier. By the way, you know, as we head toward, you know, Memorial Day and all that, it's the Marlins, it's the Philadelphia Phillies, and then back home with the Marlins. It, it's, it's not an easy stretch. Now, again... Not panicked and not worried, but why is it not coming together? Why is it that the Braves can't string together wins against bad baseball teams? The Marlins are not a good baseball team. The, the Cubs are not a good baseball team. Texas sure as hell ain't a good baseball team. And now I'm thinking they're going to go up to Gotham and they're going to take three out of four from the Mets. They might. And there's, there, there's, there's nothing that says that the Braves, if they get their act together, can't go on some kind of long winning streak. But we can't keep sitting here and saying, well, you know, last year, what if the Mets are really good this year? Has anybody asked that question? What if the Mets are really good this year? What if getting Scherzer and eventually get DeGrom and all, what if they are really good? What happens if they run away and hide? What happens if you can't win the division? Are you better than the Padres or the Dodgers or the Giants? or the Cardinals, or the Brewers? Are you better than those teams? Are you better than Philadelphia? Are, can you be better than all those teams? Because this is, again, World Series or bust. There, there's nothing there, There's nothing about anything other than being in the World Series again for this team. That's the expectation. You know, you're the best team in Major League, you know, the National League. Play and act like it. But that was a really, really disappointing nine-game stretch that the Braves had. And I'm not saying, you know, if not 
now, when, or this, or that, or whatever like that. But when does that switch get flipped? You know, Ronnie's back. Okay. Stole a couple bases. He's going to be fine. Olsen's in a real funk right now. You know, you hope that they get their act together at the top of the order and they get on base for everybody to drive everybody else in. Their pitchers have to reduce the amount of walks that they're giving. They're just walking the whole ballpark. Got to cut down on all of that. You know, too many hits given up and things like that. Defense has been an issue. You saw yesterday, Demerit, you know, falls on a play and ball rolls to the wall. It's a bases clearing triple. You know, their defense has been, had a lot to be desired. I mean, it's, it's lacked a lot of desire so far, especially their outfield defense. And you hope Ronnie come back, fix that. But again, this idea that you just flip the switch magically and it all just gets better because we're the Braves. It says Braves across our shirt. Mine says arrive, raise hell and leave. There says Braves across their shirt that it's magic and get better. I'm hoping for a split in the series against the Mets. We'll see what happens as it starts tonight. Max Fried is on the mound, and hopefully he has a good start. All right. Uh, thanks again for making Hitting Hard with John Chuck your first listen every day. I want to remind you, make your second listen, ATL Day Ones. My buddy Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste speak to the heart of the city of Atlanta. Two friends just talking Hawks, Falcons, Braves, Georgia Bulldogs, all things that you could want locally here in Atlanta. Step into the conversation. Stay for a while. ATL Day Ones is part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. Free and available on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Locked On Sports Atlanta. Put that in the browser. Subscribe, review, tell us what you think. And, of course, I always ask you to follow me on my Twitter page. It is at JMCH316. We want to thank you. Great weekend for us uh, here with all of the NFL coverage. We appreciate you guys so much for being part of our growing community and our growing audience out there. So thank you so much. We will be back with you tomorrow on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked on Sports Atlanta. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.